Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly why fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. Our conversation today is about The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta. And this is a transportive fantasy novel that weaves together two perspectives, Indir and Saya, and they are both powerful dreamers who can access the dreaming dimension and gain knowledge there. And change is coming to the city of Alcanza, which is following the death of an elderly king and the ascent of his violent heir. And Indir has a pivotal role to play. And while this is happening, Saya is traveling and keeps her gifts hidden. So there's a whole lot to talk about and in the book talking so much about chaos the prophecy is about chaos and change so obviously it (laughs) ensues and my notes are a bit chaotic to be honest so let's do it (laughs) initial reactions (laughs) why don't you start us off what did you think of the book um i listened to the audiobook which was narrated by elisa melendez and inez del castillo um i love this book it was not what I was expecting. <laughs> um, I loved how Sai and Endear's stories came together. The world building and the magic in the story were phenomenal. And it set up the continuum of, um, of a series really well. I kind of wish more book series were like this one in that the first book really establishes the world because I feel like I wasn't like confused for any period of time. So I really enjoyed this book, which might come as a surprise. <laughs> because um, of the traveling. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> what did you think? I read a hardcover, a used copy that was a library book from the Nashville Metro Public School System. Why it's no longer in circulation, I don't know. But anyway, that's a fucking tangent. And we can maybe talk about that and kill your darlings. But bizarre. I loved this book. Huerta made me care about the characters and their stories and her writing is gorgeous. And I completely agree with what you said about like, I never felt disoriented. Well, except for the one twist we'll, we'll talk about. I was like, hold on. Yeah, it took me yeah. a minute there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everything was like, I understood why the characters were operating, how they did. I understood like why the, I don't know, just like the perspectives of the characters and the yeah, the political machinations all made sense and the magical system. Incredible. No map, though, which I'm kind of sad about because I feel like it would have been gorgeously illustrated. Maybe in book two or maybe on the author's website. We should check after Ooh, the show. Yeah, we could check. <laughs> Recommend if you like. I think if you like chosen one stories. For sure. Black Sun by Rebecca Rowan Horse. Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova um, and A Blades of Black by L.L. McKinney. Um, I should point out that Black Sun is like an adult fantasy book. It is pretty violent there at the beginning. So (laughs) content warning for that. The Witcher TV show. I have not read the books and I will not. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) But if you like how this book showed two POVs moving to meet in the middle at the same space and time, which is kind of a spoiler, I guess, for The Witcher, but it's we're about to be on season three so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's been out for a while it's also kind of a spoiler for the book but like why else are y'all here so yeah exactly exactly (laughs) but once when we got to that point in the book i was like the witcher is the first thing i thought of so i really like that part that was so cool i also thought of the sandman with all of the talk about dreaming and um all the powers that come from dreaming and how the dreaming is wounded you know by certain acts of like abuses of power 
so that latest adaptation probably also the graphic novel but i haven't read the graphic novel so can't recommend myself me either but i like neil gaiman so <laughs> totally and then one more that came to mind would be dream country by a shea brown which we oh yeah we interviewed a shea on the podcast yeah that's a good wreck would be another good read alike you know if you like to spend time in dream realms um why did we choose this book honestly i don't really remember (laughs) i think it came up on instagram somewhere when it first came out and the cover was beautiful and the story sounded really interesting um also we're making an effort to read books from many different communities so um i think it's always good to like find books in different places that authors from different backgrounds and stuff completely agree and also i love no colonization hence no white people narrative so we love to see it time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe a lot of the world building is tied to the magic in this story but i thought it was really cool that the story was inspired by ancient mesoamerica which includes the air i had to look this up which includes the areas of modern day costa rica nicaragua honduras el salvador guatemala belize and central to southern mexico for thousands of years, this area was populated by groups like the Olmec, Zapotec, Maya, Toltec, and Aztec peoples, and that's from National Geographic. But I thought it was interesting because I don't think we've read books that like kind of take place in that area. Um, and I love a I love a story with like mythology wrapped up in it. And I think this was so well done, even if you're not familiar with the mythologies, because I wasn't. Um, I just really loved how like the book pulled on those those strings, you know. Yeah, and those indigenous groups, there's like such incredible diversity of indigenous groups from Mesoamerica and like until today, obviously. There's also a bit of traveling in this book. So I know people probably thought I was going to hate it. Um. And you did fine (laughs) because it was magic traveling, maybe. Yeah, I will. I thought the descriptions of the places and like Alcanza in particular were super lush while listening to the book. So I felt like we got to know the places really well. So I never felt like oh, we're just spending time in some like random woods or whatever, trekking across a random desert. Trying Um, to find a deer to hunt in the middle of the north or some shit. Yeah. Actually, I should also like add Moana to the recommend if you like, because that like the scene where they're on the boat and like in charge of the water, like using their magic for that, like that's total Moana vibes. So I'm adding that too. (laughs) too. Oh my God. I can't (laughs) wait to talk about the whales. (laughs) I just like I couldn't agree more the descriptions of the places they're just like totally incandescent like and totally transportive Huerta is like seriously talented I went back through and was like okay what are the things I starred in all of my annotations could be an example that could kind of show how the world building is like so nuanced and just like packs a real punch so I found this paragraph from page 81 I believe Indir is like walking around Alcanza and we are getting some exposition about the things that she sees We passed lines of trench workers who carried baskets of cooking ash that were set outside every living space each night. The ash was collected and poured into the waste trenches to keep the odor from rising. They emptied into a stream that ended a half-day's walk down the coast from Alcanza, a place no one lived or even visited. The terrain was rough and sand cliffs that gave way underfoot unexpectedly. People were given long stretches of trench duty as punishment, though everyone at some point in their lives did it. There was a council of grandmothers in the city that people took their grievances to. They were the ones who decided what punishments were suitable for which crimes. 
Waste trench duty was the least favorable of all the jobs people could take in the city. But those who did who did it were well fed and given hot baths at the ends of their days, and healers worked on their bodies once a week. Still, the fine white ash clung to the skin and hair of the trench workers even after their work for the day was done. This passage, for example, packs so much information about like how the world is organized, how like how justice or injustice is handled, how punishment is handled, how like kind of how some of the hierarchies work. And also we see that like how people are taken care of materially, like even though they're doing this unsavory work, that's something that is not just like relegated to like a lower class of people. We see that's something that's rotated through. And yeah, I just really appreciated the attention to detail. Yeah, it was amazing. And even in that passage that you picked out, like we kind of get an idea of like even the terrain of the area, like there's like this river that goes through and like they've set up these trenches to like take care of the way, like all those things or like it goes to half a day walk, which you assume is like pretty far. You just get so much information packed into like these small little passages within the book. And I think it just like even though it's a lot of information, it's just so succinct that you get like such a vivid description or idea in your head, like what everything looks like. And then it's like not left with questions about like, how would they handle conflicts mm-hmm. or how would they, you know, deal with people who fuck up yeah. and are need to be rehabilitated and reenter society. It's like those sorts of questions the author has thought through, which I appreciated. And it wasn't just like a carbon copy of like an oppressive system. Exactly. That, like the, the person actually took the like where it actually took the time to imagine and otherwise you know and i also appreciate when fantasy novels like take like <laughs> i don't know a material turn and are like how do people take a piss in the jungle you don't want to bend down in the jungle no it's snakes and shit or <laughs> bugs i don't know what it is but no thank you <laughs> you mentioned this kind of at the beginning that with the world building tied up in the magic and Another thing I would add to that is that like the creation stories that are woven throughout and kind of explain why the world and the magic exist. They're just both central to like the creation stories and the folklore are woven. And I just thought that was done really well, both in the dreaming and out of the dreaming. And we kind of see the perspective and values of those inhabiting it with like the twin serpents and the comet. And yeah, I just... I just loved everything. Yeah, it <laughs> I loved was everything. so good. And it made me, when you brought up like the creation stories, I'm just going to recommend things throughout this whole episode. I'm so sorry. But um, <laughs> it made me think of Tomi Adeyemi and the Children of Blood and Bone series. Like, I feel like that's another series that does a good job of like taking these, um, like this folklore and mythology that we're not like in the... <laughs> and you fell. Ke- <laughs> Kelly dropped the camera. <laughs> um, but like for me at least you know there are obviously people are familiar with it but I think from like an American perspective we're just not as familiar with these creation stories um from other parts of the world um so I appreciate like that being woven in so if you liked you know Children of Blood and Bone I think you'd also like this book I don't know why I put this in this section but I'll just meant I'll just put read my note that I put here <laughs> um I wrote shared rituals of grief and their power just thinking that there's like a lot of death in the book there is yeah and like the way that it's honored like it's it's always tackled head on Mm -hmm. which i appreciate and i liked how we saw these very intimate moments of how people take care of each other when they're really like in the throes of grief um i'm not sure how many young adult books like delve into what it actually looks like and how helpful it is to have someone not try and fix you but just like listen to you and stuff like i appreciated how the, the book really like parsed that out yeah and they did a good job and then when i'm thinking about like when Indir's two aunts died 
like I do think that's going to come back up later because it seemed like they knew what was going to happen and there might have been some kind of magic going on around their death so I'm also like oh what's going to happen with that like I'm very interested to know there were no bodies no body no crime. body no crime (laughs) (laughs) let's discuss all things magic there are so many pieces of magic in this story we have the dreamers who can see the present and the future in their dreams Um, singers who use song for healing um, communication with nature and other things and then the ilkhan who can shapeshift into jaguars which was so cool and like so cool gave me like total black panther vibes look another another recommend (laughs) um yes total black panther vibes yeah even though there's like only one black panther and they don't literally shapeshift into panthers but anyways um it made me think of that a little bit um but yeah, there's just so much magic in this story, like interwoven throughout and like so many different people who like understand it. And I don't know, it was, I just really liked this book way more than I thought I would. <laughs> I loved how the magic wasn't, it wasn't like a closed magical system where people are trying to hide. Mm-hmm. I mean, Saya was. Yeah. But overall, like there's an understanding of gifts and magic. So I liked how we didn't see someone necessarily, I don't know, a lot of the, we get Saya past her needing to hide her power. Mm-hmm. Like she gets past that pretty quickly, which is refreshing. We get to see her like learning about it for a lot more of the narrative. Which is also interesting because she's already like within the magical world. And it's not like one of those books that we read sometimes where like the person is just finding out about their magical power and we learn it along with them. And still it was not confusing. <laughs> yes, Exactly everything we were dropped off in the middle of everything and we somehow figured it out we got oriented it was great i so agree the magical system is so intricate it's like so hard to explain yeah there's like distinctions between the dreamers which i thought was cool like india dreams in truth and one of her sisters dreams in possibilities and i'm sure there were other kinds but i forget what they are now and there's like so many different rituals not just for death or grief but there's like songs which are basically spells mm-hmm. right they're like singing a singing a song and it's like casting a spell for all sorts of things plant medicines and it's all integral to the world building as you said before it's like there's magic everywhere i think that's one of the reasons why i loved this book is because just everything felt magical mm-hmm. even the mundane shit felt yes. magical yes and there were like literal whale songs <laughs> like how rad would this be to be able to sing to the whales and have them i don't know like there are people who do this in um, real life in real life oh my god um adrian marie brown interviewed her friend her friend's name is michaela i forget her last name but yeah she like i'll link to it in the show notes but she literally goes down to bahia in brazil and records the whales and then sings to the whales also and they sing back and that it's is like, so interesting Yes. Oh my God. And I I put a note to self in here that I'm going to insert whale songs in post. So it makes me think of there's this person on TikTok. On TikTok, they call themselves cronies. They like are friends with crows. Um, uh-huh. And there's this woman who can make the crow sounds. I thought it was not real. I thought she was using a crow call at first, but she can make the sounds like with her own body, <laughs> like her mouth. It's wild. People are just fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And more than human beings are unendingly fascinating yes. and i think we just like we have no idea of like our ability to connect yeah. you know i think we're just like so thanks capitalism colonialism <laughs> etc you know but we're relearning yeah yeah 
We also see that Saya can communicate with spirits in the dream and a bit maybe in real life as well, which kind of gives me like Saba to hear vibes. Um, what is that series called? Uh, Ember in the Ashes. That's it, Ember in the Ashes, because I remember like all the gin and stuff and you know, whatever. But um, yeah, it just gave me those vibes or like um, <laughs> the tiny little flame fairy in um, Crescent City. Like that's all I could think of was like these little yep, tiny, yep. like very small, like fae almost. Exactly. Yeah. Like this little, it's like a, a familiar almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of little spirits going on. And we see that like the actual offerings, it made me think of Avatar The Last Airbender and when they spend time in the spirit realm and how the spirits also come over into the like other realm. But yeah, Jesse's just through your face. I know you've never watched Avatar The Last Airbender, but it's great. <laughs> Actually, I've watched like three episodes. I don't understand the uh, hype, that's but that not doesn't fair. mean you have to, And you started from the beginning, can't. and the beginning is slow. And okay, well, this is for another episode. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't really enjoy animated TV shows. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> now we're going to talk about conflict villains, like people who don't like animation, and good versus evil. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Get me Kylo Ren. I feel like I need to justify myself. I do like animated movies, just not TV shows. It's just not my thing. I know. I'm just giving you shit. Yes, really yes, yes. Um, anyways, back to the book. <laughs> um, Alcon is the current big bad at the moment, but we don't see a ton of his villainy in this story as of yet. But I definitely feel like it's coming in future books. It's going to be really bad because like him and his like little followers are a bunch of shitheads and like they are pissing me off already. I'm like, (laughs) I hate you all. (laughs) Um, Except for there was like that one guy who's like, oh, yeah, I don't trust him either. Like I'm just pretending to, but I don't really. Incop. Incop. There we go. (laughs) But anyways, yeah, definitely Alcon. It's going to be like the big one, I think. I think. That's definitely, it seems how that's how they're setting it up. Yeah, just even from the beginning, he was just kind of portrayed as this person who, like, hasn't earned any respect or power, just kind of has taken it and is, like, through nepotism become powerful and then also comes through and is just like, I don't give a shit about any of your traditions. Yeah, he's like a little Joffrey Baratheon or whatever. Oh my god, he totally is. Fuck this guy. Yeah, but also, like, there's something suspicious going on. Like, maybe he had the tattoo thing or Mark and now he doesn't. Like, there's something suspicious going on there. (laughs) And I would also say, add to that, like, the people who are capitulating to his bullshit all the time. Yes. And I'm thinking mainly of Indir's mom. Yes. Um, Safi I think her name was I think that's right and like I get that she had good intentions of wanting to keep Alcanza safe etc etc but I just like we've seen over and over like you capitulate to these fuckers and you give them an inch they take a mile and they take a million miles and then they kill everyone on along the way yeah so it's like we gotta be strong yes yes I would say also Salai who basically kidnapped Saya, raised her as if she were her own daughter, but was like very cruel and manipulative, like giving peak tangled vibes. Like we have so many recommendations this time. <laughs> oh my God, I'm putting tangled. Like on here what now. is her name? Like Mother Gothel or whatever. See, there's an animated thing I like. I love Tangled. Um like if you saw that movie, her her mom is like the mom from Tangled, the 
evil mom, not the real mom. So yeah, so I, I'm like, what is going on with her? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. And obviously baby napping is a no, folks. <laughs> like fantasy or otherwise <laughs> <laughs> makes for villainy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in all seriousness, no, Salai illustrates this like distinction that I've kind of been thinking about between like caregiver and caretaker. Mm-hmm. It's it just kind of like a, a different sort of flavor to like the maybe the motivation or the why behind you're doing this sort of care work. Yeah. Is it are you extracting it like for your own gain, you know, or is it like are you giving because that's just what you do in order to take care of people and then you also receive, you know, yeah. without Yeah, I don't I don't know. Just kind of been thinking about this with like care work and disability justice in general and about how you know, we should call people caregivers rather than caretakers, you know, mm-hmm. if they're like actually coming in and giving care, care work. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, back to Salai. Um, yeah, I would say like abusive, manipulative, cruel. Um, yes. And the fact that like one, one thing that like hit me really hard was like Saya simply hadn't considered being free of Salai, like despite her intuitive knowing, you know, that things were off, that she was being stifled, you know, that, you know, she wasn't being fully truthful or, or, um, or even really that nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this just really is like, oh, the villainy of like taking away someone's autonomy and power just over time, just eroding it, eroding their confidence in themselves, you know? Yeah. On that note, we see that when Saya is in the spirit world she talks to the spirit Wotal who tells her about her like protection necklace being like yeah like it's done like you're done with it um Wotal says protections we carry can harm us if we've outgrown them and I just thought this was like very pithy and just kind of like huh fair enough fair enough yeah this book was and- like they're speaking to you you know i don't know <laughs> it was like i was like yes. oh man yeah <laughs> it's like wow all this wisdom yeah i'm gonna have to try and integrate somehow yeah exactly <laughs> and then i guess the last people that i would put in here are the peely and their shenanigans with the peeliti and they're wounding the dreaming like the idea of the whole imbalance of the magical system or of the natural world and this abuse of power and magic that's like kind of a theme that we see coming up throughout our books yeah, so much abuse of power. <laughs> Onward, magical friends. Just as one does, does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. So we kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but there are no white people in this story. <laughs> And it was really cool to get a story of Mesoamerica pre-colonization. Um, like, I know that this isn't like um, historical fiction or something like that, um, but it's just interesting to see like an idea of what could be without colonization. And I really appreciated that in this book. Completely agree. A million percent. We don't need white people <laughs> in fantasy and all the fantasy. They've already taken it over. There's also other genders mentioned in passing on page 71. Um, Just kind of like architected into the world building that like there is masculine, there is feminine, and there are, you know, other options also. Um, So I don't know. This is just your semi-regular PSA that the gender binary is a fiction. It's dreamed up by, it was dreamed up by scared European rich dudes centuries ago who 
have their masculinity threatened. So surprise, surprise. <laughs> We're past that now. Goodbye. <laughs> One thing I thought was interesting was this scene with King Ans at the beginning. Or no, it was a scene with Al Khan at the beginning and they were juxtaposing his behavior in this ceremonial um space with his dad, King Ans, and like the under and just kind of shows that like the understanding around who has power in a kingdom is reflected in these sorts of ritual practices. So um, on page 46, they say, no one had ever stood for the king. He was servant of the people. King Ans had always knelt before his people. So it's like some nice symbolism, I guess. Um, I didn't really get a sense that there was like a ton of resource scarcity or class like determined much about status. Um, but like obviously royalty is determined by birth in some way. Mm-hmm. And there's just like so much success in drama in general and i'm just in in so many fantasy stories just p- fantasy stories just period like i'm looking at you game of thrones and like dragon show <laughs> you know and also just like european wars in general mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like i don't know i'm hoping this comet brings a whole lot of change as in completely reorganizing the society and i vote for multiplanar revolutions with the spirits getting power <laughs> <laughs> yes yes so much family stuff mm-hmm. so much family stuff I liked how we got basically a matriarchy, essentially, mm-hmm. in the family. And aunties for the win, Koopi and Ixara, 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 were described as women who speak truth to power and don't put up with any of the capitulating to dickheads like their freaking sister is. So, I don't know. I just appreciate how we saw Indir's relationship with her aunts and how it's different from her mom and how we see, like, I don't know, the aunts really understanding how to like listen to understand and just to be there rather than listening to try and fix something because that would mean that, yeah, if you're trying to fix it, then it's more, you're listening more to yourself and your own discomfort rather than the person you're listening to. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And it's nice because in the, in this way, like Indira gets um, multiple options of like the kind of person she can grow up to be um, because I'm guessing in future books, we won't have like these two split timelines coming together but more of Saya and Endear's journey moving forward um so it'll be interesting to see like what Endear like picks up from her mom and from her aunts and like how that shapes the kind of parent she'll be and this is finally a a segment about bodies so I'm going to take that literally and just say that like how cathartic it was to have these like jaguar shape-shifting Ilkhan warriors just like ripping out the throats of baddies I just uh, this energy just needs to be bottled up so we can deploy it when the situation calls. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. Friendships, chosen, and bio family, just like... The, the book really did a good job of weaving the relationships together and um, showing the interactions. I wasn't really confused about who the characters were, even there were, even though there was a relatively big cast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just thought this was well done. Yeah, we love chosen family stories. <laughs> <laughs> we're a bit biased. Yes, yes. <laughs> I also super appreciated how consent is highlighted in various ways. Um, I put this in Shipwrecked, but it was also... Like consent was asked before like some of the healing rituals before singing over someone or touching them or dreaming for them. And I just 
love how this is just architected into the into the world and that's just like how we do things yes and on that note we i think we see this with indira and ovis who are kind of like our little couple but i would say that the romantic relationships aren't as important in this story or don't take up as big of a role as they do in other books that we read but we see Mm -hmm. this like consent coming into play when they have sex for the first time um i forget what they call it like the choosing Mm-hmm. yeah um so we kind of see this come into play where it's something like they talk about and like agree to together and there's like no pressure put on either person which i think was um really good and is a great thing to show in a ya novel for young people who are probably starting to think about and have sex in their real lives it's good to show like you know this can be a conversation it doesn't need to be awkward maybe it will be awkward but it's not that big a deal you just need to decide for yourself what you want to do up front and then not and the other person shouldn't be putting pressure on you either. Um, we get to see Saya learn to create friendships, which you kind of mentioned, and connection with people after she leaves Salai. And I just love seeing her learn how to be a friend and learn how to be vulnerable, things that she could not be with um, Salai. So I just thought this was a really cool mm-hmm. little part of the book. Ugh, yes, that's the perfect segue because um, like Ruta is Saya's first friend. Mm-hmm. Ruta is like trying to conceive and give birth and she's partnered to this person named Kinette. And I don't know, it was getting kind of like non-traditional family, potentially like thruple vibes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because like Saya is just like so comfortable with Ruta and Kinette. And I don't know, it was just like so cute. And I just, at one point, um, I think it was, was it Kinette's dad, Batuk or something? Mm-hmm. Said that like families come in a lot of different shapes or it may have been, might've been like a spirit who said that to Saya or something. But I was just, I like how it's planting the seed that like there's a lot of different ways that you can organize love. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind and kill your darlings. I mentioned this in the beginning during initial reaction, but reactions but i love how this book being a first book in the series really established the world that we'll see in the future books i feel like fantasy can feel a little inaccessible and that you have to learn a new world magic and rules and words in a relatively short amount of time not a ton of stuff happens in this book but i felt like it was a great setup to a series that allowed us to get to know the characters understand the world understand the magic and i really appreciated that it was just very different from other books that we've read and it didn't we didn't need the action to move forward super quickly um and i don't think it was a particularly long novel either and so it was just nice it was just nice to have something that was like very accessible and i think if you're interested in fantasy and like didn't know where to start this might be a good place to like help you get into that because because it is so accessible love it love that one thing I noticed was that, like, the author describes how people walk, like, Naru and Raru, which are the Ilkhan, the jaguar folks, um, walk with a ferocity and purpose. And I was just wondering, I'm like, how would an author describe how you walk? Interesting question. <laughs> I know. Or how I walk, right? <laughs> I think it depends on if I have shoes or not. Shoes or not. And then it depends on whether or not. I'm bent over with bags of books <laughs> from the library. I don't know. So I was just like, oh, huh. Something to ponder. I'm like, yeah, hmm. I walk with, I don't know. I'm not sure I walk with purpose. I think I walk a bit more aimlessly. I walk fairly quickly, but I also have to really like concentrate not to drag my feet. 
I know it's a problem I have. I can tell by my shoes. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Okay, did you see the twist coming that Indir is Saya's mom? Because I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> I know I did not. I kind of had this feeling like two thirds of the way that Salai is not Saya's mom. Mm, okay. But I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And then, yeah. So it, it comes together in like the second to last fucking chapter or like the third to last chapter. We see these, these timelines come together and I was like, oh, well fucking done. That was a good twist. I did not see that coming. And it's hard to surprise people yeah. who read fantasy all the time. I know because I was like, yeah, of course, Saya is like the lost dreamer. I get it. And Indira is going to go like find her. And that was like my assumption but like in dear sight like wow i wasn't wow. expecting the two timelines <laughs> no me either I, that then come together yeah yeah oh my gosh it was so good <laughs> very well done very well done especially because i was like getting towards the end and i'm like how are we gonna like wrap this up like me i didn't too. think that it was gonna like obviously i i figured that it was not the whole arc wasn't going to wrap yeah. up in this book, but I'm like, how are we going to bring these two characters together? What's going to happen? And then I'm like, Oh my God, it was so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we might just like not get them together by the end. Cause I was like, Oh, this is wrapping up quickly. They haven't met yet. And then, you know, wow. Just wow. It's very like Darth Vader moment. Like <laughs> I'm your mother. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> and I really like how, they showed the trepidation, you know, of Saya just meeting this like random fucking person who apparently is their mom. Like, so she has some knowing about it and feels like a feeling like a drawn towards. But at the same time is like when Indira is like, hey, do you want to hear about some of the rituals we did to get into the dreaming? Saya's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm here in bliss in my untraining. Like, y'all are just going to stifle me if you try to give me your parameters. Not wrong. <laughs> Ruta at one point says that she was born in a place where she speak where people speak honestly and then Kenneth sometimes says that she says too much. And I just my literal annotation was I wonder what that's like <laughs> <laughs> because that's definitely not um the like kind of white Midwest waspy if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. You know? So it's like something I'm unlearning. And I'm like, oh man, what a superpower to have been born in a place that teaches you to use your voice like that. Yes, agree. Ruta is very lucky. <laughs> Finally, I would say that like certain body minds, we see certain body minds having like more or less access to choices. Which is like very I think transfers very well to the real world. Um and as my therapist would say, shout out, choicefulness. <laughs> yeah, I just, I honestly don't know why I put it in here, but it made sense to me at some time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend that you hadn't before? I put like a few things in that you want to start. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so this isn't something in particular um, to an experience that I've had, but I thought the descriptions toward the end from Indira about the guilt she felt about not being able to breastfeed um, were really well done. And I think that's something we don't talk about um, new parents struggling with. Uh, there's a lot of shame and condemnation placed on parents who use formula and, or whose babies don't allow them to breastfeed. And that can come with feelings of 
like your body failing you as a parent and being unable to feed their baby with their own bodies. So I just thought this was a good time, like good time for a reminder that fed is best rather than breast is best. Um, and we as a society shouldn't make people feel bad for whatever way parents feed their babies, but we should have systems in place that ensure that babies can be fed. So like mm-hmm. nothing I've experienced and also nothing I will never experience, but I just thought I like that this was included in the book because I think those kind of um, perceptions and ideals start to make their way into your brain at like such a young age. And so I appreciated that this was addressed in a young adult novel yep 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 I'm really glad you brought this up because it's not something that yeah we see very much period right unless you're in those sorts of parenting you're like deep in those parenting conversations but Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's good to it's a good reminder you know that there is you know a lot of stigma and I think that either this week or last week was breastfeeding something breastfeeding awareness Mm -hmm. week or whatever so like I get the importance and at the same time it's like yeah, fed is best, like yeah. you said. And not everyone can breastfeed or, you know, can be home enough to do that. Like, there's just so many reasons that people can't or right. don't or choose not to. And that's their choice to make um, for what's best for their them and their babies. Um, and especially as we're dealing with a formula shortage in the United States right now, I think uh, mm. there's been like a lot of condemnation of people just being like, well, just breastfeed instead. Um, but that's just not accessible to everyone. So just something to keep in mind. Dare I bring up emotions? Uh, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> I dare, I dare, I do, I do, I do it. I'm doing it. So on page 76, Lal is being, who's one of the Litex, who's um, one of the water people um, who is do, do the healing. She's described as being very in touch with her emotions and just letting tears flow. And Indir says she admires this and is terrified of it and that she bottles up things like the rest of her sister's aunt's mother, the rest of her whole matriarchal family structure. And yeah, it just is gets me asking questions like what is scary about emotions? Like what's scary about vulnerability? Like in particular, like specifically. Yeah, there's there's such a risk, I guess, involved in showing yourself and you know, people could take it and run with it a different way than you would be supportive, right? But we see I appreciate how we see Saya experiencing the liberating power of sharing and being witnessed. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I just I think there's like a lot of concern because of the way people's emotions have been dealt with or um in the past and so I think that makes people concerned but I like that um Sai is getting to see other kinds of being and living and people who are supportive and while we're talking about emotions there's this moment when Indir is really grappling with the loss of her dreaming power um and there's this passage where she is really like deep in it talking about like the grief of a dream when it abandons disappoints or fails you and my partner and I just watched Abbott Elementary the first season and great show there's a scene (laughs) it's so good it's so good there's a scene in season one episode 11 in which the janitor Mr. Johnson learns this young teacher Gregory like a super important lesson he says that a dream can be a goal just as much as it can be a distraction and Mm -hmm. I'm like that is just some fucking wisdom right there. Yeah. And that's what I thought immediately when I was reading this scene in The Lost Dreamer. And yeah, I just think it translates to to personal experience, you know, like you can be going for something and you're aiming the arrow at the total wrong thing yeah. that you don't know until you know. Yeah. Okay. Only two more, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a ton of mentions about stories. 
like prophecy and fate are almost like talked about in this language of story, right? Mm-hmm. Like what the person, the trajectory of a person's life is going to be. Um, and Ruta asks Saya the question, what do you want your story to be? And it reminded me, which I'm not going to ask you or me because <laughs> that we would need, it's not fair to put that on us right now. But it did remind me of this really powerful quote by Ojibwe writer Richard Wagamese. And it goes like this. All that we are is story. From the moment we are born to the time we continue on our spirit journey, we are involved in the creation of the story of our time here. It is what we arrive with. It is all we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story. All of us. What comes to matter then is the creation of the best possible story we can while we're here. You, me, us together. When we can do that and we take the time to share those stories with each other, we get bigger inside. We see each other. We recognize our kinship. We change the world one story at a time. I just love this quote. Yeah. Shout out to writer Chris Latre who, um, who mentioned to me, um, to us and yeah, just kind of getting me pondering. This kind of got me pondering about like the, story of the show of our friendship of our lives on this plane of the multiverse you know just like small stuff like that (laughs) is it small stuff it is big stuff (laughs) i know it's massive it's massive it's both like massive and minuscule at the same time given the scale of the universe so yeah i appreciate you bringing this up because i think sometimes we get so caught up kind of like in your abbott elementary quote like we get so caught up in like the bigger things that we kind of forget like Oh, what do we want our lives to be? Not like, what are the goals for my life? And those are, can kind of be two different things. So mm-hmm. I love this. Thank you. Like the goals could maybe be like plot points on the line of the longer story, but like, yeah, we got to zoom out, see our interconnectedness and be like, man, yeah, these goals are small compared to the bigger story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And finally, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Nahida Saya fucking wisdom nuggets being dropped all over i honor my gifts or i use my gifts even though or when it makes others uncomfortable mm-hmm. mm. Mm. yes just yes snaps all around i don't know if you can hear that Snaps all around just like <laughs> fuck yeah that's wisdom to live by uh let's take that and and roll with it yeah are we ready for card questions are we? I, I, so. I feel like so ready because I got these out and I didn't even have to get them off my bookshelf. I'm so impressed. Good job. Good job. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Have you read any other books that address the same themes? <laughs> <laughs> All of them. It's our show. That's the show. <laughs> I feel like we've really curated a series of books that are like about recognizing your own power and when you organize with other people that has like really fucking radical potential collective action exactly and the radical remaking of these worlds you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yes all of them all the things (laughs) yes that's why you come here for a curated list of books that are about changing the world yes yes this is just like a silly question why was this story worth telling whatever no white people so that's good a reason enough yeah it's good to have multiple perspectives <laughs> let's see let's see maybe one more yeah oh i like this question which person in power should read this book oh um all of them 
yeah right i think they could all take a note from that now i don't okay i should be honest i read this book like two weeks ago and now i don't remember anyone <laughs> it seems like you remember quite a bit but oh, yeah. maybe that's just because you take really good notes um and i spell out everyone's name how it sounds in my head so that i'm like i can get these names correct um you know like that part you were talking about it where like the king bows down before his people i'm like yeah i think mm-hmm. y'all could all take a note from there like you're serving us not the other way around right one thing i appreciate about all the like fantasy and what i think like ya fantasy does really well is it like shows you that other worlds are totally possible Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that like what especially this book in particular is like talks about cycles you know and changes coming and it feels like a very precipice sort of moment that we're Mm -hmm. in too right yeah so yeah i just think a lot of people could benefit from reading this book not just people with like traditional senses of like power yeah yeah and you know what i also think that a lot of people could benefit from reading outside of the their usual comfort zone because they're missing out on a lot of good stuff. I say that as someone who sometimes reads outside my comfort zone, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> Words to live by. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of The Atlas Six by Olive Blake. As always, we would love to be in conversation with all of you magical people out there. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. You can subscribe to The Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon, in which case you get to be part of our wonderful Discord channel. (laughs) Or by shopping. Do it. Yes, please do. (laughs) Or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Wait, before you click unrecord yes or stop did you finish the freaking crescent city number two again i'm making this like an end credit series <laughs> i did finish crescent city number two i don't know i forgot i can't believe i forgot to text you oh my god um i did finish it and i will say that unfortunately you do have to read it <laughs> no don't tell me this <laughs> um if you want to keep up with the akatar world then you have to Ugh. read it i'm so sorry i mean maybe you could just skip Fucking to like the a. last three chapters um, I know, but I feel like I already pushed return on on Audible because I was so mad that it was so slow. Just get it from the library. <laughs> like, I didn't think like it needed to be as long as it did, but I also don't know how some of the other storylines are going to come in because there's like five POVs in that book, which is really annoying. Um, but they might come back up. And yeah, you you got... I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so mad at you for... I'm shooting the messenger right now. I'm so mad I at know. the messenger. My sister-in-law's <laughs> friends husband was like no jesse you have to read this um if you and this person was at the time of a loose acquaintance right yes and i actually did text him like message him on instagram after i finished to be like oh my god you're so right i'm so glad you told me i had to read it because like bro bro i was shocked shocked (laughs) oh my god i'm just like like what i i knew something was gonna happen that i won't say now and it was like 10 times past what I thought was possible. Like, That's mind so blown. frustrating. 
That's so frustrating. I mean, I should just be happy about it, you know, that I get to go disappear into another fantasy world. But mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I feel a little burned. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can make this an end thing. Once you finish it, we can wrap up our Crescent City 2 mini episodes <laughs> within our episodes. Yeah, for real. Okay, stay magical for real, people. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.